This is a safe place. I'm agoraphobic. I can't go outside. I've been slipping, getting into a really dark frame of mind. Good evening, friends. Well, I don't know where last week got to. However, it would appear we've got another one going, so let's enjoy it with this edition of Don Messer's Jubilee. Donald, let's go. I let Hauser go this morning. Tomorrow morning, you take the case back. I woke up at 2 in the morning. Dylan wasn't in bed. Is there something you're trying to hide? I think I want a lawyer. Yeah, I would too. What the hell's the matter with you? Sit down. I need to tell you something. Five, four, three, two, one. Hi, this is Candy Mings for the agency in Chicago. And Eugene Napik, your agent in Toronto. Eugene, I have my shirt off right now. And I've got a quarter in my hands because I noticed on Facebook a friend of mine who I really respect and care an awful lot about was sticking a quarter to her arm and saying that it was only would stick where her injection was from her vaccine for COVID-19. And I'm like, oh my God. And then she's like, why aren't doctors and scientists saying the explanation for this? So is that because go, is it because the Bill Gates chip is magnetic? Right, I guess so. But quarters aren't magnetic. So that's mm. not a good enough explanation. So I have my shirt off. And just to be an asshole, I sat here and I put it on my arm and it stuck on a certain part of my arm and it won't stick anywhere else. And I'm not fucking getting you. I'm trying to get Stave to come in here to watch it. I mean, it'll only stick where you had the injection. I have no idea. You know, I'm only guessing where the injection was. Well, the injection was probably up in your shoulder. Right. So, you know, my shoulder's pretty big. So if it if it sticks in your elbow, then it's a different place. Wait, but it's sticking. I'm helping you with this. I know. Right now it's sticking. When I where on my arm up on the shoulder. Ah. But if I move it over even a half inch, it falls off. Uh huh. There, did you hear that fall? I heard that fall. Yeah. Um, nothing. And, and so what does this here. mean, Candy? It means that there's a part of my arm that's quite sticky to quarters. <laughs> 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 I don't know, but. Uh, the thing is, only mentioning it because I thought I was going to be a big jerk here, and quietly while I was waiting for you to come online, I just fucked around with it, right? And then it sticks on my arm on the upper shoulder, but not so anywhere on the shoulder. Is it just your shirt you've taken off or anything else? No, I just took my shirt off. Uh, but, uh, you know, I kept okay. my foil hat on. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. important. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to keep my foil hat on <laughs> with my um, headphones over top of it. Um, how's things going? Things are going well, thank you. Good. Things are going well with me, too. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm going to forget to talk about something that I really want to talk about. I just don't have any clue what that is. Um, but I have that feeling like I'm going to forget something important. Um, mm. I made scones for a comfort food diner. Oh, let's hear all about your scones. Well, I, I'm a scone lover. I am, too, and I make them all the time. So did I already make them on the show once before? Well, you can make them again. If you did, well, I don't know. We had our friend. I, I, I can never remember what we talked about. I know. I we talk about it and I just forget. I don't know what episode things were in. I have no hey, idea. But you know what episode we're getting awfully close to, don't you? Well, we must be getting awfully close to number 100. I know. We're about 97 or 98 right now. And I feel like we need to do something for the 100th episode. 
what shall we do? Maybe our listeners could tell us what we ought to do for our 100th episode. Do we give away something or celebrate or do we have do drink champagne or or what? Give to charity maybe? No, I, I don't know. I, I don't either. You know, I'm not big on the celebration of um, of milestones. <laughs> okay. Yeah, neither am I really particularly. <laughs> but I just thought it was kind of cool. And I thought it seemed like it might be the professional thing to do. You know, an attempt at being professional. Well, it's because, you know, we don't know better. It's supposed to get harder after seven episodes, but well, right. and that hasn't happened yet. That hasn't seemed to stop us at all, right? No, um, never even slowed us down. No. Well, I did send you a message to watch a movie this week, and you were kind enough to watch it, even though I, I don't think you enjoyed it very much. Well, it was a turkey. <laughs> I've never let a turkey stop me from my enjoyment. <laughs> I've never let bad art stop me from enjoying an emotional blueprint. Well, I kind of enjoyed it as well, in, in yeah. a way. You know, there was a lot of things that I wanted to enjoy about it because, one, and I think you and I have this in common, we like thrillers. We like a mystery. Oh, Yeah. And here it was, and it was alluding, and, and it hit you over the head how much it was alluding to Hitchcock. In alluding fact, or ripping off, <laughs> you, depending on how you look at it. Right. Well, not so, just Hitchcock. Yeah, Hitchcock all over the movie, but um, yeah. Rear Window? Hello? Yeah, rear Window. I thought that's what, that is Hitchcock. Oh, you're saying specifically that Hitchcock. Yeah, specifically, yes. yeah. Well, right, because they had a film clip of it even. She's right. watching it. She's watching it. And then she watched, I think, The Man Who too, Knew Too Much or something. Something else in there, too. Yes, it's, uh, it's a new film. It stars Amy Adams, Gary mm-hmm. Oldman, yes. um, uh, Wyatt Russell. Julianne uh, Moore. And more people, too. And more people, too. Um, yeah, and it, it, this should have been, like, an, a brilliant... I, you know, I really, really enjoyed it. There was all kinds of problems with it, but I didn't really let it bother me. But you know what does make me ask a question? Why do people live in scary houses? Well, why, why do people film interior of, of scary houses with incessantly with wide-angle lenses to make them look <laughs> weird and too big? It all, the whole thing looked like a real estate ad. Yeah, it did. Like it all was, the rooms looked like they were way bigger than you knew they were. That's true. So it was probably just a fake set. That was that was bothering me because they should have been kind of cool anyway. But also, where was the stairwell? Was it in between different apartments, or did she own the whole house? Because I thought she owned the whole house, and then yeah. there were like five stories. You know, this uh, film was was based on a best selling uh, novel by yes. somebody named A. J. Finn. Right. Sounds like a fake name to me. Oh, yeah. There was something about this fake name that rang a bell. So I did the only sensible thing. I Googled Googled it. it. I Googled it. Yes, I did. Who was it? Well, um, it belongs to a fellow named Dan Mellory. And the reason why it rang a bell is because (laughs) Mr. Mellory was in the news. Did he write a girl on the train? No, he no. didn't. Oh, he, he just didn't. copied parts of it for this novel. Oh. <laughs> um, he was he was a fellow who he he's very intelligent fellow. He was an editor in the uh, junior editor in the publishing business, okay. but he had done graduate studies at Oxford University, Uh-oh. where he studied um, oh. Patricia Highsmith, oh, dear. particularly the Ripley novels, oh. which um, for any listeners who haven't read them are about a guy who. Um, really concocts a life. Yeah. Well, Mr. Mallory. Oh, dear. Mr. Mallory <laughs> was in the news because mm-hmm. it seems 
on at least two occasions, he made up cancer. Oh, no. He made up brain cancer. Oh, no. And he made up spinal cancer. Oh, no. And later, he blamed it on his bipolar diagnosis. Well, that might be true. I don't know. Um, although it seems to me that somebody who studied a guy who <laughs> concocted a life and then concocts a life, hmm, I don't know what you want to be blaming that on. I know. But that is terrible. He actually said, I found a quote. Yeah. On numerous occasions in the past, I have stated, implied, or allowed others to believe I was afflicted with a physical mm -hmm. malady instead of a psychological one, cancer specifically. Mm -hmm. And he did this apparently to get ahead in the publishing. How? Just to get in a rush in his public? So his book gets published before he dies or something? I don't know. I, okay. I don't know any more details than that, but there's more out there. I just thought, well, that's enough for me. Right. Well, you know what? One thing was kind of funny about this. Um, well, I, I enjoyed it. It is a mystery novel. Um, all kinds of layers of mysteries. It has something to do. Oh, Spellbound was also associated with this movie. They showed clips of Spellbound uh, because they showed the Dolly artwork being sliced up. And... Um, so it's got all kinds of mysteries, and it's psychological mystery as well as a murder mystery. And I really enjoyed it, um, but it did have some problems. And one of the problems I didn't like was in Spellbound, there's a flashback, and it takes like a few seconds. The flashback on this one just robbed me of the pacing of the movie completely. And although it was good to know what happened, it was very um, disruptive to the movie. So I thought that was a problem in the storytelling to make it way too long and hit you over the head over and over again, almost like an Oliver Stone flashback. Well, it's hard to get it right when you're trying to fit in every film mystery cliche um, used in the last 60 <laughs> or 70 years. You're trying to get them all into your film. It's, right. you know, it's hard to get the plot right. Yeah, and I guess it's pretty hard to write an original mystery story, um, mm. you know? And when you look at murders, I watch a lot of murder stuff, and sometimes there are these repeated things that happen. Like, first of all, never get a life insurance policy. I can tell you that right now <laughs> because every murder, 90% of every murder is to get that life insurance policy. That's right. That's right. So the movie is called The Woman in the Window, which tells you right away it's a bit like um, The Woman in White, which is one of the first mystery novels ever written by um, Wilkie Collins, and a little bit like Rear Window. Um, the house is majestical and fascinating and absolutely terrifying. Um, and the colors in this movie are really cool. I thought they were very cool. And at one point, she basically is afraid to go outside and she wears her robe night and day. And I, I, I thinking, one little question about that. Yeah. It shows her going to her, having therapist appointments weekly. Yeah. If she can't go outside, how did she get to her therapist? They came to her. They came to her. They were in her house. Yeah? Yes. Yeah. Oh, you how don't many think therapists? How many therapists do house calls? Come on. Well, none. But I mean, they were coming to her house. She's probably really well off. Ah. So it could have been in their imagination. Is that what you're saying? Well, I, it could have been, or just they never thought about that. Or they? Oh, well, that's interesting. Right. It could be like yeah. a, a continuity issue. Well, they're they're probably. It's hard. To I'm being hard those. on this film. I know. I, know I am being hard on this <laughs> film, and I'm going to say, okay, I kind of enjoyed it. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's a watchable mystery Definitely. novel. It was just funny. It was so cliche filled. Well, and the music, Candy, the music couldn't have been any more strident <laughs> in the mystery music variety. <laughs> Dum -da 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 -dum. It was, it, the music was pretty oh, um, obvious too. Um, you know, I think it's, I think what helped it was that the cast was amazing. So you want to watch what Gary Oldman, you want to watch. Sure. 
Jennifer Jason Lee, who's, you know, an amazing actor. And she was in a really cool 80s suspense movie called Single White Fe Female, which was an original mystery story. Very original. A very unique premise and, and fascinating. Now it's become common, but at the time it was kind of a groundbreaker. So this uh, robe she's wearing drove me crazy. I was like, I loved it. I was like, I need a big, huge robe like that. It's big red. She wore a lot of red and blue. There was very um, retro colors in it. Uh, the, her house was retro. And then I thought, well, I'm going to look up the, the, the screenplay too and this thing. And it turns out that it's also written, he, must, he adapted it from that novel, Tracy Letts. And Tracy Letts wrote a movie called August Osage County, where the main thing I remember about that movie is Julia Roberts' robe. <laughs> And a totally dysfunctional family. So the thing the problem is, is that there's all this dysfunctional family mixed into the mystery story, which worked in Hitchcock's time, but now is very, well, no, I want it to be done in a new way, not just like a denial and a flashback. It's, I want to see something else happen. However, it did lead me to what is a good mystery story out there right now, and it's the one you turned me on to, Mayor of Easttown. Mm. Have you seen shit. episode five yet? I sure did. I watched it last night and it oh was absolutely my. brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. And you know what? It had about 500 things that have been in other movies, but it felt fresh. Why? Yes, it I did. I don't know why. It felt so fresh, even though I've seen it before. Oh my God. I think it's because you care so much about the character and all the characters. And yes, they, they've, they've made the protagonist's character seem so real. And they have all the dysfunctional family stuff. I think the problem with Osage, um, August Osage County and the woman in the window is I want to see those same characters, but in a more broadly defined setting rather than trapped into this um, family dysfunction thing. And Mayor of Easttown does that. It brings it out into the world somehow. These characters, I want to go move to that town and hang out with them, I think. Well. Do I? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe you don't maybe. want to live there. Maybe I don't want to live there. <laughs> it's a, it's, I mean, it's a small town. Everybody's got drug problems. That's true. Um, well, it, it doesn't have that many cops, though. So, you, you know, if, <laughs> you could probably get away with your drug you probably habit for could. a while. And, you know, it reminded me of BC in a lot of ways. You know, that small town where everybody knows sure. each other. And, and the stories and the mystery kind of get convoluted because everyone is around each other. Oh my God, it's so good. I mean, I also thought that how they've brought it up to, there's six episodes, and I thought what they seven. did last night, oh, there's seven? Seven. Oh, very uh -huh. interesting. Yeah, I guess yeah. that's going to bring us to a part where we're going to get more character development. Then. Well, I guess because episode five um, solves a, a chunk of it. It does solve a chunk of it, but there's still some mysteries left in there. Yes. But the murder mystery is solved as far as we can tell. So, you know, we're not really telling you what that mystery is. And anyone who picks it up and watches it right now, it won't be ruined. But, I mean, everyone is so fantastic in it. I, I love Jean Smart. She's the mother. She's from Designing Women. And she's she great. The mother. She's amazing. All the side characters and, are And the relationship and she, between mother and daughter is delightful. Mother is delightful. and daughter and daughter. It's all delightful. It's all very painful and very delightful. And also, it turns out that maybe they're going to be okay. I, I don't know. Maybe they're going to be okay. Who knows? Who knows? I guess two more episodes. I thought there was one more. Yeah. Um, but I have enjoyed it so immensely. It's ridiculous. Now, the other thing I'm thinking about, again, is scary houses. Because there's just some scary houses in, that, in this series, too. And I ask, mm -hmm. why do people live in scary houses? Then I have to ask myself, why do I live in a scary house? Because we had 30 shots the other night. 30 usually shots? Usually I don't talk about this. Yeah, I usually don't talk about it. 
because I don't want to scare everyone. But this was out in the street? Yeah, and it was around, probably around. The funny thing is, I had, I had trouble sleeping, and then I finally fell asleep, but noises of rustling between fences and the houses woke me up, and I knew it was not a normal sound. And then immediately, Stag woke up at the same time. Only I didn't talk to him. I just laid there and listened to it and thought, I'm safe, I'm on the floor, because I fell asleep in front of the TV, so I'm, I'm in the right spot. And he count. He woke up meanwhile and counted all the shots. And there was he counted thirty. Wow. And they really sounded like the same thing. So I have a neighbor that I'm the only person that's seen him in the last year. He's a very social guy, but he has taken to hiding out. Um, he got a dog during pandemic, and he's a really great guy. Lives down the street from me, and um, I'm so far the only person I know he's still alive because I see him. <laughs> and we text each other, and he calls everybody his face hookers. He'll go on Facebook and go, hey, Facehookers, how are you? Huh. Um, anyway, he texted me in the morning, hey, how did you hear that? And I said, I sure did. And his tenant's tires were all shot out. And wow. I guess several cars along the street lost their tires. I suppose shooting at someone hiding between cars. Ugh. Wow. There yeah. was a shooting around here as well, which is really? fairly unusual in our neighborhood. Uh, it was a drive-by shooting um, right near the no-frills. Oh. Uh, down the street. Yeah, I, know, right? hmm. uh, I don't know how many details about it, but it closed the road uh, hmm. for a chunk of the day while uh, the local police department did their thing. Right. And they haven't found any suspects or anything as near as I, I could tell. But there are, there are some gangs in oh. our area as well, down in uh, New Toronto, for sure. Hmm. Yeah, that's unfortunate. That's very sad. Um. You know, Stig always walks by and he goes, what are you watching, murder? And then he comes, and he comes home from work. Anytime he sees me by the TV, what are you watching, murder? Well, SNL had a sketch about that. <laughs> the guy goes to work, this, his partner's watching TV, and she's got, like, Dateline on the way he comes home. He goes, are you, still, is it, are you still watching murder? It's like a whole song on murder. I'm going to have to share that on Facebook because it was pretty funny. <laughs> it was specifically made for Stag this sketch so i guess there's a lot of us out there watching murder mysteries mm. i finished watching uh, life on mars oh you did yeah i did oh how was it well you know like i said it's a it's a good series uh i thought it was the series was longer than the content um suggested to me it ought to be in other words they just mm. they had a lot of a lot more episodes I would have preferred it to be more of a mini series kind of thing, more okay. contained, I think, but still I, I quite liked it. And uh, it was fascinating to watch the final episode, uh, which is the episode in which they bring him back to 2006. Oh, wow. Uh, it was, it was confused and convoluted <laughs> and uh, it had a nice twist to it. Oh, uh, It had a, a, yeah, a good twist at, at the end. I'm glad I watched the series. I don't know if I'll go watch the, uh, there's sort of a sequel series. I think it's called Ashes to Ashes. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, that uh, has some of the same characters, okay. um, only set in London instead of Manchester. Hmm. And uh, I think there's a character who gets shot and goes back to uh, 1981 hmm. in that one. Hmm. Um, so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recommend that series with reservations. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, the Gene Hunt character is a scream. Um, he is just uh, quite deliberately every early 70s TV cop 
cliche right, you right. could come up with he's yeah. that including he drives a souped up car and he <laughs> you know drives fast and right a lot of spin outs and that sort of thing <laughs> yeah well the other thing i watched was halston which is on netflix and it's i think it's five parts and it's basically um the career of fashion designer halston and it was riveting and fantastic and gorgeous and i cried like good. a baby at the end of it what's that i heard it's really good oh it's so good so juicy so good um i loved it i, I noticed that critics gave it a bad rating but um some some critics but i think it's it's for the fans it there's a whole bunch of us that um you know need to ask us what we thought of it um mm -hmm. it was marvelous well and that's sometimes the case it is sometimes i mean the it case. wasn't the case in um in the in the turkey we talked about the woman in the window the critics uh, were pretty unanimous in uh in destroying that one that's true but i still think it was fun to watch and i think there was a lot of you know suspense and scariness and i think the problem was some of the pacing not just the not just the murder mystery and all the references i think it had a really weird pacing um, uh, yeah you know the other thing with that film it could have used a, another strong character i agree um, really, it really put too much um, pressure on Amy Adams to carry the show for the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe. Because also, look, being trapped inside a house. But you know what? I I've seen movies where things are like that. And what about the movie Phone Booth? Have you ever seen that with Colin Farrell? Mm -mm. Oh, I love a movie. And what about Castaway? I love a movie where the premise is one person and you're like, how can they possibly carry the film for the whole movie? Well, in Phone Booth and Castaway, they managed to make it totally engaging and captivating phone booth it turns out that he's um making a phone call and i guess someone tells him to go into the phone booth and answer at the phone and if he leaves that phone booth they're going to kill his wife and kids and it sounds so simple but they managed to make that a completely captivating story for uh, an entire movie wow very good good direction good storytelling good writing yeah i recommend it colin farrell he can do no wrong either. He's such a great actor. Let's talk scones. Oh, scones. Scones. I call scones. it scones. Scones or scones? Okay, reader survey, this. reader poll. Do you call them scones <laughs> or scones? I asked this from someone who lives in Toronto where on my home we have mm -hmm. a roof. Where Candy lives, they have a roof. Well, I call it roof. So, but, That's because you you're from here. Yeah. But it, but you ask your husband what it is, he'll say it's a roof, silly. Yeah, I know. I don't know if I've ever noticed him saying it like that. That's funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he okay. says rough. Oh, he does, eh? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, no, they came out good. We had Andrew staying with us, and pretty much every time he stays with us, I make him scones. Because he's from Scotland, he's from the UK, so, or he's born in Scotland, from the UK, so I usually make him scones. And then we also had Michelle and Megan over, and I made them salmon. Salmon and salad again. <laughs> Protein and salad. Didn't I do that the time that you were here a month ago? I made them steak and salad. Well, I think so. You're a pretty good cook. I want to know how to make scones. They're or scones. Crazy. I didn't bring the recipe with me. I so I'm gonna tell you it off the top of my head. Sure, I believe it's that's one how I cup do it. of one cup of sugar, one cup three cups of flour, five teaspoons of baking powder, one teaspoon of salt one cup of milk, and one egg. I'm pretty sure that's my recipe. And obviously you put all the dry ingredients into the bowl and then you 
oh, and butter, you need butter. So it's three quarters of a cup butter and you put all of that right into just the flour, no moisture. And you cut it with one of those pastry knives or two knives, two butter knives will work too. Mm -hmm. And you really get that mixed in. I love that sensation of the butter and the flour. I don't know. Yes. What, it, it's just something magical to me and I want them all powdery and everything. Ooh, I love it. Kind of mealy. It is kind of amazing. And just, it's so, the butter just floats into a cloud of flour. I love it. I love looking at it. <laughs> I may have taken a photo of it too. <laughs> well, I've been thinking of making either scones or scones yeah. because I've discovered the frozen blueberry. Oh, I love frozen blueberries. You I know, frozen, yeah, I throw them in my smoothies. We've been fresh blueberry people. Oh, even even in times of the year when mm -hmm. blueberries are obscenely expensive, that's right. our extravagance. Right, we right. like to put blueberries in with our morning soggies. Mm, yummy. That's what my dad always called cereal. Soggy. Wheat soggies. <laughs> and, uh, you know, people have been telling me, you should try frozen blueberries. And I scoffed, frozen blueberries. <laughs> I like my blueberries fresh. Right. Well... I bought a bag of frozen blueberries and they're just so good. Oh, they're amazing. Um, President's Choice has really good frozen berries too. They have um, Oh yeah, the big bag. Well. It's yeah. excellent. And plus when you put them into your soggies, two okay. things happen. One, oh. it super chills the milk. That's true. Which is really kind of cool. Yeah. It has this sort of icy texture, <laughs> which is kind of cool. Yeah. as well mm -hmm. it's sort of like your your wheat soggies are turning into gelato or something <laughs> and sometimes if you have lots of blueberries you'll get a clump like an anvil of blueberries oh, at the wow. bottom of your cereal bowl wow and does it yeah. turn milk purple yes it does i love that too yes delightful yes. and so i've become a fan of mm. of the frozen blueberries right. well i i like to throw the frozen your blueberries or wild berries or strawberries into my smoothie and it makes it very cold. Now, I'm betting that if yeah. you were to put them in either scones or scones, they would be really yummy. Yeah, they would be, but I'm a purist. Uh -huh. I don't like anything in my scone. I like you, it just... You don't like to pollute your scone with, no, uh, with fruit? No. no, because I put organic jam and Devon shark cream on it. Ah, okay. So, so that's, you, that's really so the most you, important part. Got it. I see. Yeah. And you probably have a, I have to, there's only one place I can find Devonshire cream and that's at Whole Foods. So it's a big deal to get over there. It's not one close to me and get it. But I think you could probably find it easier at um, your grocery store than the regular grocery stores here don't have it. Hmm. I don't think I've seen Devonshire cream anywhere. It's usually. I, I don't even really know what it is. Well, it's clotted cream. It's also called clotted cream. Now, Megan and Michelle, Which is, I think. Yeah, like if you it. try to sell clotted cream, it doesn't sound as good, does it? Right, right. I guess so. But I would call it that. I, 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 it sounds good to me because I know exactly what it is. <laughs> but yeah, I think you can make it, but I haven't, I haven't tried it myself. And I really, hey, that's what I should do this week is try making my own Devonshire cream. I know you can make um, sort of fake buttermilk by adding yeah. fresh lemon juice to milk. That's true. And you can make your own butter if you use heavy whipping cream and over whip it. Just like farmers did. Just like farmers did. Back in and the day. I suppose machines are doing that now. And I, I think cream might be that you just really have to sift it, you know, maybe, I don't know, or let it sit on top of um, cheesecloth or something. That doesn't make sense. I don't know how you make it. I should look into that because <laughs> that seems like an emergency item to start making. <laughs> well, yeah, if we ever have to start over again. Hey, I have another little thing, a little thing for the Comfort yeah. Food Diner. Mm -hmm. um, as you know, I'm planning uh, 
planning on going on a canoe trip later in the summer uh, if our premier, Uncle Doug, opens up the province and it's reasonably uh, safe do. to do so. I want to come up there. Um, in doing so, uh, I, I told you a while back I did a, a, a test batch of, uh, of jerky. Yes. And well, my buddy East Texas Red has suggested I just make 67 pounds of jerky and that's all the food <laughs> we'll need. He oh liked the jerky, it turns yeah. out. So well, good. I'm gonna, I'm actually gonna make more. I'm in charge of food. He's you in charge of logistics. I'm in charge of, well, what I was thinking um, was I would dehydrate a number of yeah. different things. Yeah. Um, and I saw on a YouTube channel called Lost Lakes, which is, uh, is, done by a couple who go out on canoe trips mm. and um, they recommend dehydrating pineapples as a snack. And I thought they were so enthusiastic so about this. Mm. I am going to dehydrate a test pineapple and see how it is. Oh, it sounds good. So I've got a dehydrator. And if you're ever interested in dehydrating, the uh, acceptable place to buy your dehydrator is a garage sale. And what is a dehydrator? Well, a dehydrator, yes, you plug it in. It typically has several drawers that have, have plastic mesh. And um, you put whatever you're going to dehydrate on the plastic mesh. And I have a, a swanky one now that my neighbor across the street mm -hmm. gave me, um, oh. which has actually temperature settings. Too. So you put it on the appropriate temperature setting and you know what setting to use because it tells you. Like it'll Still say 135 like fruit letters. It's not like an Instapot. I, it doesn't pressure cook anything. It actually <laughs> yeah, warms things gently over warms time. Warms things gently over time. Not okay. instantly, over time. All right, all right. So it took me probably about 30 hours uh, to dehydrate a pineapple. Oh, really? I cut it up oh into into thin pieces about a quarter inch thick. And then I didn't know whether I would want wide pieces or mm. narrow pieces. So mm. I tried both because it's a test batch. Right. I'm going to tell you wide pieces are better because you get more yumminess, like a bigger bite of yumminess mm. all at once. Yummy. So I did this. And first of all, a dehydrated pineapple uh, turns into a small, a small Tupperware container full of dehydrated pineapple. Because, oh, of course, you're taking all the, the water out of it. Shrinking, yeah, shrinking. Uh, well, you take the water out, but pineapple has the kind of sweetness and sourness that makes pineapple tasty, mm -hmm. and it intensifies when you dehydrate it. <laughs> cool. So it's like chewing on a kind of pineapple, intense pineapple candy. Because mm. it has a, a, a chew to it. Yum. And uh, super intense flavor. It is just a delicious snack. So now we have two items for the canoe trip, 67 pounds of jerky and 30 pounds of pineapple, <laughs> and we're going to be set. Are you allowed to make rice or anything like that? You can't have a fire, right? Oh, yes, you can have a fire. Uh, you can make rice. What you can't have is bottles or cans. Okay, so you can cook some rice, cook some potatoes. Yes, but yeah. you may not want to bring potatoes because um, there's 22 portages. Yeah, so no, anything you bring you. in, you yeah. have to carry. Right. So that's why you dehydrate a lot of food so that mm -hmm. um, some of the staples are dehydrated. And then you have um, some things that are 
that are fresh. Like we'll bring along a, a summer sausage. That you'll eat um, right away. A summer sausage will be good without refrigeration for oh, a week. Right. No problem. Right. Uh, kielbasa will be good for three to four days. Right. And so because it's smoked. So you could dry out some green peppers, some onions. Exactly. Some, and then you're going to make a stew out of them. And you can also dry out pasta sauce. Imagine that. You put parchment paper on top of the mesh in your dehydrator. And you spread out pasta sauce and you can dehydrate (laughs) it. So you get like wafers of pasta sauce, which you just rehydrate and then add to your pasta. Okay, because you can bring that because it's right. I believe that you can bring a tube of tomato paste. Yeah, you could. (laughs) Because it's not a bottle and it's not a can. That's true. And you could bring Parmesan cheese. You can. And and my experience from uh, canoe trips is cheese in general. Uh, You could bring in uh, Parmesan cheese grated. You can also bring... um, I wouldn't grate it until you got there. Oh, but then you're going to have to carry a grater. That's right. Right, right. Uh, So it's better to to grate it and put it in a plastic bag. Gotcha. Um, But you can also bring like a Ketchkavala cheese, you know, those Mm. um, that come in a ball, a big ball. That's fine for a week. No problem at all. Yummy. So there's lots of things you can bring. And Very of course, we'll, we'll catch and eat fish along the way well, that's uh, as, as protein um, to, to go with our um, 67 pounds of jerky. What about Melba toast? What about Melba toast? Uh, well, yeah, you could do that. And in fact, you could also bring uh, uh, tortillas, right. uh, which are probably good for, what, three days, four days, yeah, maybe? Yeah, I think so. um, same with pita. Mm-hmm. Right, they're good for a few days. Uh, you could bring a loaf of bread; it'll last for a little while, but it'll get kind of get banged around. Right. Um, and um, you could bring a plastic jar of peanut butter. Right, or a plastic bag of peanut butter. Either or. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, it sounds like you're pretty organized. Well, I'm doing a few test runs yeah. now. You know, like this particular batch of dehydrated pineapple is not going to make it until we go, I and that's going to be so. the problem. Is that all the really yummy stuff right. um, is going to get sampled on you're, pretty you're gonna, heavy? You're going to make double batches then, so that you can hang on to it. Yes, and, yeah, and the last and... week before we go, um, our house will just be a jerky factory. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it will be a lot of fun. God, I hope I'm up there by then. Just yeah, I hope you're up here days. one of these days too. Yeah, because it's got to open up again, right? More Eventually, people are getting vaccinated. Think. More people are going to get vaccinated. More people are going to get their second vaccine. Yes. Eventually, the case counts have to go down, yeah. or so you would think. How are they doing now? Um, they've been lower than they were, but they're still in the 2000s, mm. 2000 mm. cases per day wow. in Canada. Wow. In Ontario, sorry, in Ontario. Ontario, yeah. Yeah. I think just that cold weather and staying inside like that. Um, So you put it in perspective of those, maybe 500 of them are in Toronto and Toronto has what close to 3 million people. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Right. So it's, it's a lot and it's not a lot at the same time. It's a lot more than um, several months ago when we thought it was under control at 200 cases. So I don't know. I don't know either. Just, it's, a, it's just waiting on the mercy of people sending you vaccines. And um, like I said last week, now they stopped ordering vaccines in Illinois. As many people as they think will get vaccinated, it's slowed right down. Wow. 
Yeah, well, it's good and bad. It's good that people got vaccines, but it's bad that some people don't want to. And so, of course, there's community outreach now. Right? I noticed Spike Lee has got a commercial That's good. public service announcement trying to get people to get vaccinated. Yeah, there's a lot of people that I've spoken with in my neighborhood who mm -hmm. don't want to get vaccinated mm -hmm. um, from reasons ranging from it changes your DNA to it's made from dead babies and Jesus won't like it. Right. I don't think it is made from, um, it's remdesivir that was made from. You can't argue things. with people who have that uh, opinion. Well, hey, I've got a quarter sticking to my injection site, so what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, we've got a couple of guests this week. We do. We do. So I think we're going to move over to that, right? And um, you want, Should we, we talk about? a bit about our guests? Yeah, let's talk a bit about them. Okay. <laughs> In a well, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, our first guest is um, someone I know. I've known for many years. Uh, we used to work together. And um, yeah, and she is a... a, a gardening expert. She has a gardening blog, The Fabulous Garden. Her name is Jennifer Arnott. Um, she's done uh, uh, professional speaking engagements about nice. uh, gardening tips, that kind of thing. Nice. And uh, the last few years, uh, she's been giving me tomato plants. <laughs> That's awesome. Because uh, she, she grows uh, a lot of tomato plants. And in, in fact, um, she told me she had something like 70 or 80 of them that she grew this year. <laughs> it's just like got completely out of hand. That's so I, I went to pick them up the other day and she lives about mm, 25 minute drive from, okay. from where we live. And I had a chance to have a look at her garden, which is just splendid, amazingly creative and uh, just brimming with life and brimming with ideas and it's fun and it's sectioned off in interesting ways and she's got a greenhouse tucked in the corner of it mm -hmm. uh, she's got fruit trees happening tomato plants all kinds of vegetables all kinds of uh, flowers out front there's loaded with tulips right now it's really really mm -hmm. beautiful and mm -hmm. i was there looking at her garden and what did i think i think we have a guest that's what i thought Perfect. That's great. And, and, our, and I, Jennifer I mean, has agreed to join us great. to, uh, to give us to some gardening tips. Good. And another guest we have is um, we're going to talk about art. And art we are. And maybe even when we were at university together. Um, it's someone we've known since we went to college, just like you and I did. Um, a really great um, person, Shelley Adler. And she's going to um, talk to us about her Yep, she has an up, upcoming paint. exhibition she'll tell That's us right. about. She'll tell us and, about uh, and um, we're going to we'll talk we'll talk painting. We'll talk painting and we might go down memory lane a little bit too. Sure. All right. So and are we going to what's our what's our plan Candy? Are we going to go uh, right, right to the interviews and then just yeah. do one after yeah. the other and then yeah. sign off? Yeah. So let's do it right now. Let's do it. All right. Bye. The weather's warming up. It's a beautiful time for gardening. And today we have a special guest, a gardening expert, Jennifer Arnott, one of the most creative and enthusiastic gardeners I know, and the author of The Fabulous Garden blog, which you can visit at thefabulousgarden.com. Hi, Jennifer. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Eugene and Candy. Thanks for having me. Hi, great to uh, meet you. You too. Yeah. Um, so I hear you're an amazing gardener, and um, I guess I'm going to start off right away. Um, you, you're in the Toronto area. Did you always grow up gardening? 
I started gardening when I was very young. I mm. it wasn't in Toronto at that time. I was further north uh, near okay. Sudbury is where my family's from. Oh. And both uh, my father and my maternal grandmother had quite large vegetable gardens and small flower beds. And uh, when I was little, they ga each gave me my own little plot to garden in, <laughs> maybe three feet by four feet. And, uh, you know, they'd walk me through planting little seedlings or you know some carrot mm -hmm. seeds or something and and I learned that way and uh you know that was fun while I was young and I'd be out you know helping grandma or helping dad and then you know high school and that sort of thing hit I wasn't really interested and university no time no interest mm -hmm. but then when I got my first apartment I started to get the itch to grow something and then my second apartment I had a balcony and that's where mm -hmm. I really took off with gardening cool yeah, it's funny that uh, the family garden, I was terrible. I never helped, my grandparents had a garden. My parents didn't grow at all. My mom was good at houseplants, um, but my grandparents had an amazing garden in Calgary. And I am looking back going, I didn't help them at all. I just ate things. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think I weeded or anything. I feel terrible right now. But I was just such they, a, you know, a petulant teenager. <laughs> they didn't put you to work. <laughs> Well, they must have done something. Yeah, I'm sure they, they did put me to work, more like housework. There <laughs> you just, go. And and my grandfather loved gardening. My grandmother would change into jeans to go garden. So it just you kind of triggered that memory for me. Hmm. It's kind of cool. Yep. It's it's amazing what comes back and, and gardening is one of those things that can sometimes get passed from generations mm -hmm. and sometimes skip a generation. <laughs> right. Right. Well, sure. I don't have the greenest thumb. Um, we try to grow some things. We usually get pretty enthusiastic at about this time of the season. Mm -hmm. We get a bunch of pots going. We get some tomatoes growing. I get some lettuce growing. And then we argue about when we're supposed to water. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, my whole thing is like, now Chicago does not have this. So there's a reason for why we have a difference of opinion. But there's kind of mandates in Toronto about when you should water and if you can water and if the heat's too hot or stuff like that. And so we get into these bogged down of when we should water our plants well, and our tomato plants and everything. Yeah. Generally, you, you should water them in the morning. Okay. And the reason for that is if you water them at night, then they stay wet overnight. You can get more fungal kind of diseases. And it also makes it a really happy place for slugs and snails. And you don't want to create a happy place right. for slugs and snails. Ooh. And that, there's a logic there, I see. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And uh, you should also make sure when you're watering, you water really thoroughly. And my thing with uh, growing in pots, for sure, is that when you water, make sure the water actually runs out the bottom of the pot. Like that's how thoroughly you should water it. Mm. And don't do that every day, but mm. do it when it needs it and then stick your finger in the soil to find it when it needs it again. And I usually stick it up to about the second knuckle. Mm. And if that's drying, find, if I find that it's dry down there, then that's when I would water again. And mm. in the heat of it so much? Pardon me? Why do you have to run it so much? Um, because you're trying to get the roots to get trained to go to the bottom of the pot. Because if you just put a little bit of water, say you've got an empty water bottle or you're mm. finishing off your water bottle you've been drinking mm. and you just dump that in the top and you keep doing that every day, the roots learn to go to the top of the soil to get their water. Then mm. if you miss a day or you have a really hot spell, the roots are going to dry out because they're right at the surface. Mm. But if you are watering really deeply, the roots will go deep. So then if there's a drought period or it gets really hot, the roots are down deep and that's where they're gonna get their water and they'll survive longer. So it's always better to water less frequently, but to do it more thoroughly each time. Okay, that's gonna help my marriage. <laughs> <laughs> 
Jennifer, you do all I, sorts yeah. of counseling on the, the, the agency, don't counseling. you? Yes. <laughs> I, I know you grow heirloom tomatoes. Can you yes. explain what an heirloom tomato is and what's the difference between an heirloom tomato and a Home Depot garden center tomato? Uh, well, Home Depot garden center tomatoes are sometimes heirloom tomatoes. They've been they've been diversifying okay. lately, but okay. um, an heirloom tomato is open pollinated, which means that you can um, save the seeds from year to year. You, there's no um, proprietary, you know, things being crossed with other things. Mm. It's it's been bred over generations. Usually, I think that the definition is it's got to be over sixty years old, but mm -hmm. some you know some of them go away further back than that. Um, and heirloom tomatoes tend to have more flavor because there's a reason people would have been saving the seeds and keeping them going. They fell out of favor when tomatoes um, and other produce started getting produced more commercially because mm. heirloom tomatoes don't tend to ship as well. They tend to not maybe be as, as hard or as sturdy for shipping, but they have great flavor, which is, I think, all the more reason to grow them in your own garden because you don't need to truck them anywhere. You mm. can just step out the back door so just that's, truck them into uh, the kitchen yes <laughs> um and just don't drop them on the way is there anything i need to do when i go to you know the garden supply what kind of mud should i get what kind of soil should i get is there anything i should be looking for well, if you're growing in pots, you need to get potting soil and not topsoil or triple mix or mm -hmm. digging something up out of the yard. Uh, there's a difference in the porosity of it. Uh, roots need to be able to breathe. And if you get topsoil, it tends to be more compacted and there's not enough um, sort of air spaces in it. But potting soil is a looser mix and it will uh, help your your potted plants do better. If you're growing something that's really uh, likes a dry condition like um, a cactus, um, mm. that kind of a plant, uh, sorry, um, that kind of a plant would need uh, a little bit of extra grit or sand in it to help it drain better. Um, a boggy plant would need more of something that's water retentive, but for the most part, your standard potting soil is what you're going to want for growing most things. And I would suggest that you get new potting soil every year, or at least the oh. top part of your, your pot that you would mm -hmm. put, refresh that with new soil every year. Okay. When you plant a tomato, how deep should you plant it? Uh, tomato should be planted as deep as you can uh, within reason. <laughs> you want to leave some green out the top, but tomatoes, unlike a lot of other plants, will actually sprout roots along the stem. So if you plant a tomato deeply, it will get extra roots on the side. Mm. And this is really handy for folks that maybe started growing tomatoes from seed for the first time mm -hmm. this year or last year and maybe they got a bit enthusiastic and started their seeds way too early and now they have 18 inch tall plants with maybe four leaves on them. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen it on Facebook. I, I know it happens because mm -hmm. we all get so enthusiastic when we're starting and then the plants tend to stretch if they don't get enough light. So you can actually even dig a trench and lay your plant in that trench if you've got a super long plant um, with just the top parts sticking up and then it will grow from there. Uh, that works better in the ground, a trench obviously, but even in a pot you can um, dig it in quite deeply and just leave the the top part out and it will um, help the plant be anchored and strengthen it and um, you'll get a nice sturdy plant out of it. Now, I've noticed that some tomatoes will grow to 
oh, three feet tall, have a bunch of tomatoes, do their thing, and then just peter out. But your tomatoes just keep on cooking and grow right till frost. What's up with that? Well, there's two main types of tomatoes. There's determinate and indeterminate. And determinate tomatoes are ones that grow to a certain point, set all their fruit, ripen all their fruit, and then they're done. And you want to grow determinate tomatoes if you're going to make, say, pasta sauce. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of the Roma tomatoes are determinate uh, tomatoes because you want to make all your sauce at once. Generally, you don't want to few tomatoes today and for next week. Um, But indeterminate tomato plants, they start growing and they get to a point where they're mature enough to produce fruit and they start producing fruit and they will keep producing fruit right up until something kills them off. And in our area, that's frost. I know I... I have a full disclosure. I plant Jennifer's tomato plants uh, <laughs> here in, in containers. And okay. there is a cherry tomato plant that grows. I think it's like Doctor Who's TARDIS. You know, it grows <laughs> infinite numbers of these wow. cherry tomatoes. I've nice. never seen anything like it. And it just keeps on going until it's darn near winter. That's amazing. Yes. That, that variety is Sun Gold, and it's a fairly recent introduction. It's not an heirloom, uh, but it is the most fabulous tasting uh, t- cherry tomato. I just love it. Uh, the only challenge with that one is it sometimes splits. If you get a rain, then, then your tomatoes split, but that just means you have to eat them right off the vine instead of bringing them inside to eat. So, so what if- some other vegetables for you, Jean, that I, I could grow in a pot? I mean, I, I don't think I can do beans, or can I? Is there any kind of limitation? Uh, as long as you have a big enough pot, you can grow mm-hmm. just about anything. And even uh, I actually choose to grow bush beans in a, an old recycling bin. Oh. <laughs> um, we used to have the ones that, I don't know, three feet by two feet kind of yeah. a, a square yeah. thing. And we don't use those anymore. So okay. um, I have some holes drilled in one of those. And I actually grow probably six bush bean plants in one of those. And I like it because it just keeps the plants um, up and away from some of the critters that would get at oh. them. <laughs> and they the beans hang over the edge so they're a little bit easier to pick Hmm. so you can absolutely grow bush beans in a pot but you could grow pole beans too if you had um a pot with uh, support in it and uh and do that Uh, peppers grow really well in pots and i've heard Mm -hmm. that hot peppers grow even better in pots than in the ground well you see a lot of hot peppers uh for sale at the hardware store Mm -hmm. (laughs) in my neighborhood the neighbors breed them or grow them and then come and sell them too so i I can tell you i do very very well with hot peppers in in pots and um i have a number of varieties that uh that i picked up at a couple of different garden centers that i'm just waiting for the soil to warm up a little bit before they go in right right and Eugene, I think in pots, you also have grown Swiss chard, uh, cucumbers. Yep. yep. Oh, cucumbers? Last year I grew celery. And, <laughs> you know, we had celery, but it just, I don't think it's worth the trouble. <laughs> For the amount of celery and the yeah. amount of effort. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think I'll grow celery again. Um, mm-hmm. I grow zucchini in pots. Uh, all the salad greens, except arugula, which does not grow in my garden. <laughs> <laughs> oh why is that because i have arugula monsters oh okay <laughs> are they big and hairy <laughs> i i think they're i think they're they're small and they they just eat up that arugula as soon as it comes up ah mm. it's probably flea beetles wow yes they they yeah. are a pest with the arugula 
but uh, yeah, my the pest that choose on my plants is a striped cucumber beetle, which tends to decimate my zucchini. So I'm jealous that you can grow zucchini. Right. I wonder if you could grow them on your deck or something. They would go on your deck, Eugene. Would that keep them away or do they smell it? Well, I don't have enough sun on my deck. Okay. Um, so well, what happened in a, at our place is that there was a small bungalow next to us and they tore down the bungalow to build a, a very, very large house. And they also got permission from the city to take down three trees. And I was all upset they were taking down the trees because yeah. I love the trees. Mm. Um, but once the trees came down, I stood in the patch of ground between our front walk and our neighbor's property. And I realized it's sunny. Oh. <laughs> I could grow tomatoes here. Right. I could grow peppers. And so I did an experiment. I tried a couple of containers with tomatoes and a couple of containers with hot peppers. And I had really, really good success. So I've expanded it. And now I probably have 40 or 50 containers out there growing just about everything. Mm -hmm. um, last year, I did have early in the season, I had a blossom and rot problem with my tomatoes, um, particularly two varieties, the others not so bad. And then it seemed to resolve itself later in the season. Yeah, the blossom and rot is often because of watering and it's it's very hard in a pot to keep the watering consistent. And right. uh, if they dry out, then then that tends to uh, promote blossom and rot is, is what I've heard a lot. Hopefully. I, read, I read somewhere that that um, mulching your tomato plants in, in pots could help. And I might try that this year. It should because mulch is wonderful. I use mulch everywhere because it helps to regulate the amount of moisture in your soil. Mm. And I've uh, got I've managed to find a few bags of chopped straw this year for my vegetable garden, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, normally I've used big bales of straw and it's the chopped stuff is, is actually a lot easier to work with. And last year with the lockdown, I couldn't get at any of that sort of uh, material. So I actually bought just straight cedar mulch, you know, not any of the colored stuff, just straight cedar mulch. And I wasn't sure how it would work on a vegetable garden because it's not something you normally use on a vegetable garden. It's more for your flower beds and such. And it worked great. So I, I would use it again if I couldn't get straw. Right. I'm assuming that last year gardening went crazy. It in, went especially bananas. In northern, yeah, especially in northern countries. Yeah. Yes, uh, I subscribed to some industry grower and, and oh, garden center magazines, okay. and they said it was like their best year ever for most oh of them. Right. There was a few places that never really opened up properly and they didn't recover, but mm. most places, the it was the biggest number of new gardeners they've ever had. <laughs> Sales were through the roof, and mm. now the challenge is keeping those people as gardeners because yeah. if you try and you have a real disaster because maybe you were too ambitious at first mm -hmm. it can be a bit dispiriting and I, I really hope people try again if they didn't succeed with everything and and hopefully something worked and, and helped them get that bug to, to give it another right. shot this year that's a great point so if point. you have a, a small space and you wanted to try some some vegetables, what mm -hmm. vegetables would you recommend, Jennifer, for the first time vegetable grower? Good um, question. Easy and no fail. Easy and no fail. Well, I think <laughs> no to, pressure. <laughs> well, there, there's no such thing as no fail because okay. you know, that's true. Some of us okay. can fail repeatedly. 
we all can. <laughs> um, but I think tomatoes are a great place to start because mm -hmm. almost everybody loves tomatoes. And mm -hmm. if you don't, you have no trouble passing off homegrown tomatoes because right. your friends, family, coworkers, or the mailman will love tomatoes. Right. Uh, and they're really rewarding to grow because they're always sprouting up and you can keep, you know, there, there's a tactile element to it that you prune off the extra shoots and such. Mm. Um, so I think tomatoes are a great one. Zucchini, if you've got some space for it, is a great one because just about everybody except me can grow zucchini with no problem. Um, so uh, you can grow it on a, 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 what they call a cordon. So growing it upright. So if you don't have a lot of space, uh, I tried this for the first time last year. I got a, a stake, a two by two, about four or five feet high, pounded it into the ground at the same time I planted my zucchini mm -hmm. and then as the zucchini grew I tied up the main stem to this stake and I ended up with about a three foot tall tomato I guess uh, need to make sure yeah. that you're using a soft tie on it I actually use old um, pantyhose or uh, tights mm. cut into strips because it's soft and, and recycling <laughs> right. um, and just keep going with that and then take off any leaves below where the zucchinis are to help promote air circulation. And you can actually grow a zucchini in a lot smaller space than you might think. Well, is the zucchini hanging off of a branch, basically, or do you have to tie that up too? Or? You don't have to tie it up. It's Well, mm. I guess if you let just it grow to be four feet long, right. okay. <laughs> you, you right. might. Um, <laughs> but as long as it's uh, a small size, it's, yeah. it's, it's going to be just fine. It grows yeah. right off the main stem, pretty much. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And you kale is another, sorry. Oh, go ahead with kale. Love kale. I don't love kale. I love growing kale. <laughs> it's it, it's a really pretty plant and it's pretty easy to grow. Uh, the worst thing that happens with kale is you get uh, moths that come and lay their larvae on it and then you get little worms on it. But if you keep an eye on it, you start seeing it chewed, you just kind of wipe those off with your fingers and keep at it for a few days mm. and uh, it recovers. It, it likes full sun but it's a beautiful plant. You can grow it all summer just to look at it in your flower bed and then start harvesting yeah, it in the lovely. fall. Yeah. And some of them are quite ornate. In, in mm -hmm. our garden, the kale keeps growing in pots. Last year, right into December, I was picking kale. That's yes. Cool. Yeah. And I've heard of people in their gardens that it actually overwinters sometimes. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me. I oh, think yeah. after the apocalypse, there'll be cockroaches <laughs> and kale. <laughs> Yes. Uh, you mentioned uh, pruning your tomatoes. Uh, yes. Do you have to prune your tomatoes and how aggressively should you do it? Uh, there's a couple schools of thought on it. Generally, if you're growing indeterminate tomatoes, that is the ones that uh, set, start setting fruit and just keep going forever, you should prune your tomatoes because otherwise you'll just have a tangled mess in a heap. Um, you want to support them, tie them up so that they're off the ground and there's air circulation. And then uh, I do prune off any uh, stems that form, and I'm trying to figure out how to describe this with my hands are going, but you can't see me. <laughs> um, you want to have just one or two central leaders, and then you prune off everything that is superfluous to that. And the idea is that that promotes air circulation and it actually gives you healthier, bigger tomatoes. And how do you prune a tomato? I just pinch them. I, I pinch them and if you're they're small the stems are small enough to pinch off that's a really good time to be doing it if you actually have to get your secateurs out that probably means you waited too long and it's mm -hmm. going to actually cause more damage to the tomato pruning it at that point I would still do it um, I've gone on vacation for a week come back and went whoa how did this get so big <laughs> um, but uh, yeah if you you know 
just your fingers works or you could take scissors even but i find you know your thumb and your your forefinger work really well and i actually probably every three days or so I go out there and I prune and, and that's probably a little obsessive but I really like doing it so yeah. it's kind of my time in the garden and and then you see if there's any little pests or anything and uh, yeah it, you talk to them that helps them grow too. <laughs> uh, cool Jennifer how do you feel about um, fertilizer? I bought organic miracle Grow. it felt like cheating it's in a big rubber plastic tomato shaped jar with a, <laughs> a green lid and I put it in my pots is that okay or not? Yeah, if you're growing in pots, you especially have to use some sort of fertilizer because the plants will eat up all the good nutrients in the, the potting soil uh, okay. over time. So uh, some of the gardeners I follow uh, talk about feeding Fridays where every Friday they feed all of their pots. Uh, good way to remember, I think. Um, I mostly grow ornamental flower, uh, things in pots, mm -hmm. you know, flowers and such. So mm -hmm. I tend to just use the Miracle Grow um, slow release nitrogen okay. pellet or the slow release pellets of Miracle yeah. Grow and put those in. Uh, but uh, seaweed, um, liquid seaweed that you can get, that's mm -hmm. a good organic option as well. If you're going to, uh, you just put it in your watering can and then it diluted a bit and uh, mm -hmm. use that. Yeah, I think that's what it might be, that this uh, organic one, because it does smell like seaweed now that you mentioned ah, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Interesting. Yeah. I use bone, bone meal as my primary fertilizer oh. in, in pots, and I've had good success with it. Good. Yeah. Yeah, are the plants eating that? Like, is it seeping into the soil, I assume? Yes. Yeah, yeah. like the calcium and all that. Oh, yeah, it gives so it nutrients. That's mm -hmm. amazing. That's pretty yeah. cool. So the nutrients that a tomato plant needs change during the season, don't they? Oh. Yes-ish. Uh, you know, in the early part of the season, you want them to just grow and concentrate on growing, and then you want them to set fruit. So the growing part is more nitrogen, and then the set fruit and flower, or well, set flower and then fruit is uh, phosphorus. But I, you know, when I start my tomato seeds i don't start it in a a mix that's got a lot of nutrients it's it's just a, a, a seed starting mix that's essentially sterile but it's a, a medium to get your your seeds going mm -hmm. and then i just transfer them into some potting mix and that tends to keep them until they get out in the garden and get the fuller array of nutrients so i don't switch what kind of um fertilizer i give them part way through and, and in fact i don't fertilize them once they're in the ground i do put a little bit of something called spanish river carbonatite in the bottom of the planting hole mm -hmm. um, and this is a mineral that's mined near sudbury um, in espanola uh, i believe it is and it's uh, just a natural mineral that's supposed to increase the flavor and the yield of uh, plants. So put a like little bit of that in the That Sudbury connection there. Yes. More Sudbury wisdom. <laughs> we, we share our secrets among each other. So uh, yeah, I heard about it from my dad and gave it a shot. And well, That's a great point. You said you share your secrets. And I think that's something else if someone's wanting to start out doing gardening is to reach out maybe to a Facebook page to your blog and mm -hmm. and and feel like you can tell people like what am I doing what do I need to fix this or something because my yeah. experience is people want to share that information absolutely absolutely and and that's why people join those gardening groups is and especially if they're more experienced gardeners because they want to help yeah. um, I would recommend that if you're starting out and you know you don't 
inundate the group with 18 pictures of your garden and say, what is everything? You know, it's often good to walk around your neighborhood and see what's growing in other people's gardens or on their balconies if they're low enough. And, you know, if you see something that looks like yours, say, hey, what is that? When when you find your show off neighbor who's always pulling in bushels of tomatoes, that's the guy you want to ask. Absolutely. (laughs) And they love talking to you. If you tell them how wonderful their garden is, they'll be very happy to talk to you. That's very true, isn't it? Yeah. And I've also found Google Lens is really good for identifying plants. It's not perfect, oh, yeah. but if you take a picture of something, um, mm. it will often identify it. And I know one of the gardening groups I'm part of, we have had probably four pictures a day of garlic mustard with people <laughs> saying, what is this? And is, oh. it growing, is it a weed or not? And mm-hmm. it is definitely, absolutely a noxious weed. Um, mm-hmm. You can eat it. Apparently it makes wonderful pesto. But I can tell oh. you there's enough pest, uh, garlic mustard growing in the park across from my house to feed <laughs> Toronto four times over. Wow. So It was imported here as an herb, I understand. Just like dandelions. <laughs> Special. Well, Special. you know, I, 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 Sheila and I pulled out the garlic mustard, our yearly garlic mustard pull. And I, I was thinking of opening a pick your own garlic mustard farm. <laughs> Free. All you can yeah. pick. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, you can, I would even give whole plants. People can start their own at home. <laughs> I like the idea of the pesto though. Um, yeah. Um, hey, if anyone's listening and you have a garden or you've got potted plants, can you email some photos to us at theagency.podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to see what you're gardening or anything. And then check out Jennifer's blog because it sounds like it's a great resource. I'm going to go visit it. And Jennifer, what is your blog? It's uh, thefabulousgarden.com. Okay. And it's full of all kinds of great gardening wisdom. There you go. That's what I was thinking. (laughs) Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us today on The Agency. We really appreciate it. And um, I wish you great gardening. Thank you. You too. And good luck with your pots, Candy. Thank you. Hi, we're, uh, we're, we've got a visit today by uh, Shelly Adler, um, an old friend of ours and a Toronto painter. How are you doing, Shelly? I'm doing great. Thank you. Hi, Shelly. Hi, Candy. <laughs> great to have Hi, you here. <laughs> for, our, for our listeners, full disclosure, we've known one another for a really, really long time, yeah, long but time. we haven't talked for a really long time. Well, for all, I don't think I've seen Shelly since maybe early 2000, to be honest with you. Since one of our shows. Right? Yep, exactly. One of the shows, I remember. Yep. Yeah. Maybe 2005, 2004. And um, we all knew each other at York University when we were young painters. And you know what's unusual is all three of us are still making art. That's right. We, we are. But there's a lot of us from, from that time that are still making art. Very interesting. Yeah, it was a great year, actually. I think it was a great year. Yep. You know, um, when I had a teacher, Maury Baden, he um, did first year art in Victoria before I got to, to York. And he would sit us down and say, okay, in five years, only two of you are going to be making art still and even finish in an art program. And then in 10 years, only maybe one of you will. I was like, oh my God, that's really bad odds. <laughs> Depressing. Uh, we got the same talk, Eugene. Do you remember? Who gave it to us? Well, I remember sitting in, in our art history, that carpeted room where everybody would fall asleep. because. It was oh, that so weird purple room. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we were told the same thing, like 1% of you out of 300 students are going to continue on. And I mean, it was, we sort of looked at each other like, oh, who's it going to be? <laughs> what is 1% of 300 students? What is 1%? Yeah, is of 300 students. Is, is it, it three? 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 <laughs> 
This, I, I didn't know we were getting into math. I know, but that, that, well, we always talk about math here, math and murder. <laughs> so, so we're the three right here. No. I guess we're the three, but so it's true. There's was, lots more. Johannes, yeah. Johannes and, and Sheila. Sheila, yep, and Paul, uh, John McCartney. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And, and Yep. Brent. I mean, Brent, Jim, Gary. Oh, that's um, pretty amazing. Uh, what, um, also, who's who's showing with Olga? Um, Christine Davis. Yeah. That's, that's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. Only some of us are famous, though. Yeah. <laughs> and by us, I mean somebody else than me. Yeah, but that's the least of it, really. <laughs> that is the least of it. It's the, how yeah. do you, okay, which leads me to one of my little questions. How do you keep going? What motivates you? Why are you still painting, Shelley? Oh, why? Well, I mean, come on. It's the same as everybody else. Like, I'll, I'll never stop. I mean, um, that's, uh, yeah. I, um, I mean, the fame thing is completely separate from the act of doing. And um, I know so many people who are still painting and working. And um, it's, you know, the, the fame thing actually is a little connected to the show that I'm working on. <laughs> um that is going to be opening soon and great but we can talk about that later but okay. what, keeps, what keeps me going is is my curiosity my work um talking with my friends uh getting a chance to show the work every now and again um and being completely engaged still in in painting very cool um and for somebody who's not a painter well how would you define being engaged how do i define that yeah Oh, if you wanting, can, if you can, yes, absolutely. Wanting, like wanting to do more, just the wanting. Okay. With the actual painting. With the painting, with more paintings, with what I've just worked on, the failure of that painting leads me <laughs> to the success of the next one, which leads right. me to the deficiencies of that one, which leads me on and on. Okay. That's pretty cool. I, I think that's similar for me. I just really like painting and I like looking at the paint and I like it to talk to me. And sometimes I try talking to it, but it usually wins. Yeah, I, I think for me, I, I, I just need it over and over again. I just need that second, that microsecond of magic when, when all of a sudden it's a painting and it's got a life of its own and it doesn't need me anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, those surprises where nothing's working, nothing's working, nothing's working. Then you do one thing and it all comes together. Now that surprise, right? Yeah. Do it's you... Like, nothing else yeah to get that do you have something you do like a ritual or a setup or music you like to play or do you find it like maybe when you're doing something in your life it drives you back to it um i i mean i have a lot of rituals in my studio okay you don't have to share them with us <laughs> but, but if you have some you want to share um no i mean the way i get to work every day mm is kind of rich a ritual okay um coming into my studio walking upstairs sort of leaving the world behind um but i'm always involved in something in my studio um like in the middle of something mm. so i never so when i come back i go back into it ah mm. yeah like I'm never, out, you know, I know that sometimes if before the pandemic, you know, when, when, you know, there'd be things that you always had to go do and leave the studio and 
um, coming back, if, it, if I took two days off or three days off or a week off or something, it would be hard. It's always hard to get back into it. And I, I know from experience that every time I come back after uh, an absence, I had to pay for it by ruining work or destroying something. So I know now. That's so familiar. Yeah. That is familiar, yeah. <laughs> so destruction is part of creation. Yes. Um, so I know it. It doesn't make it any easier. Like it's still really hard to keep failing or destroying something that had promise. But it really is, uh, for me, the only way back into the work. Interesting. Yeah, sometimes I have to throw something out. I showed a friend some paintings I was working on recently and I said, oh, I don't like this one and I can't believe I'm showing you. I just feel very not involved in it. The only thing I can say that's really weird is sometimes other people really like those paintings that I don't like at all. <laughs> and it's super annoying. <laughs> it is. It happens yeah. a lot. Yeah. No, you may not see that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have people you admire? Uh, I have more people that I admire than I can even say. Okay, yeah. Um, you mean like artists? Yeah, maybe when no. you were when you were young or you know starting out, maybe before really early art school, did you have people you were looking to? Uh, Candy, I've looked to so many people, um, and I still do. Um, there's so many people I admire. I do remember in, in you know from school. I I liked I really liked Eugene's work. I mean, I think we, there was a mutual uh, affection for each other's work in those days. Sure. Um, um, but in terms of like big people, like famous, yeah. famous big people, artists, I like that. Um, yeah, big people. Um, in the early day, I, I was, well, before, um, I mean, this is when, when I was in my teens, Van Gogh was one of my mm. absolute heroes. Right. Um, when I got to university, uh, Warhol, was one of them, and uh, Rothko, Stephen Corn. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's like everybody. Vega. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When's the last time you were at an art show? Say again? When was the last time you were at a gallery show or an art show or a public show? Well, I just walked into the gallery where I'm going to be showing mm. last week. Okay. So that was that was the first time in months that I I mean maybe even a I can't remember the last time I was in uh, oh oh okay I mean this sounds like plugs I don't want to be plugging <laughs> but I'm gonna plug that's okay um, sure back um, back in March just before the shutdown mm -hmm. I was in two group shows okay and um, it was March fifth and I was invited to show it uh, in New York at Arsenal Gallery cool. And um, I also was participating in a group show of female artists in Calgary at uh, Deborah Herringer Kiss. So oh, that's lucky, huh? Right before the closing down. Right. It was that, like that weekend. And we went yeah. down to New York and people were saying, are you really going to go to New York? Mm. Are you going? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I remember like that was the last moment before the shutdown. We were in, in the gallery. There were a ton of people there. People were standing close to each other. And, uh, I mean, nobody I know got sick from that moment, but that was, that was really the last time. Mm. Yeah. Right. Um, do you listen to music when you're 
working? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I often have complete silence in my studio. When I'm really working, wow. it's completely silent because I don't always know what I'm doing. And mm. I, it's like I have to use every brain cell I have to figure things out. But because it's so quiet here, I have different uh, times of the day when I have things. Mm. And mm. it depends on what work I'm working on. So there is music that I listen to. And a lot of the music I listen to is stuff that I've been listening to for years. So I have a CD player and I will play things over and over and over again. So it's almost like a meditation. Okay. I don't really hear the music, but right. it's a lot of Dylan. Um, <laughs> um, what's the um, Lou Reed and mm -hmm. uh, Velvet Underground. Um, it's all the, the music of my youth. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you for sharing that because, you know, I don't want you to tell us anything you don't want to. But, you know, these are things that I think are so interesting to me, the little things that someone else is doing in that quiet space. Because yeah. painting's a pretty lonely activity in a lot of ways. You know, I don't find it lonely Good. anymore. Um, I actually can't work unless I'm completely by myself. Uh -huh. So uh, I used to share a studio, like for years I shared studios and then, you know, time went on and on and on and I lost that, you know, I lost that studio and then I shared with somebody else and then that person left and then I found myself alone mm. and it was really hard for about the first six months and that was mm. about 10 years ago. So I've been on my own for about 10 years and it's the only way I can work now. <laughs> I'm with you. I, I can't work with anybody else around. Yeah. With the exception of doing mosaics with Sheila, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. It's a little bit different right. um, because we go into those as a two person activity. But in terms of painting, she doesn't even come into my studio. Right. Well, it's nice to have a sort of collaborative part of your practice, right? So models, you know, models are the collaborative part of my work. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So I have you know, I do have people in while I'm working. Okay, so you'll have models. Do you do photo-based or is that mostly live models? Uh, I've been working with live models for a long time. Okay. And I uh, sort of got rid of the photograph um, years ago. Um, but I do, I still do use photographs. You okay. know, it's, it's usually a uh, blend. Uh -huh. If I have a model, I'll photograph them and draw them and paint them, then photograph mm -hmm. the, the pose and then work later, you know, continue working uh, with, the, with the photograph. Are you drawn to certain colors in your work or particular sizes? Yeah, big. Big okay. and small. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Either big or small. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it, it's, um, it's across the board, sort of. But color-wise, um, I, not really. I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm, you know, color is interesting because one color dictates what the next color is going to be. Mm. So that's kind of how I work. I'm always, it's all about relationships mm. um, with the color and the value and tone and stuff like that. And I, I feel like I've had to, I, I, I've had to learn a lot about color. Um, I feel like I didn't really know much about color. And so I'm, always experimenting, mm -hmm. you know, pushing it around and figuring new things out. And I think that's why uh, it's never boring. I, 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 
you know, I feel like there's still so much I don't know. Mm, that's good. So tell us about your upcoming show. Uh, when is it? Where is it? How can we see it? Okay. So the upcoming show is at Nicholas Material Gallery, June 10th. Mm. And the show is, um, okay, so we're in a, we're in a shutdown, right? Right. And at the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, I was working on live models and then you know, everything shuts down and I continue to work on live models through Zoom. So I had a few friends who posed for me um, through Zoom uh -huh. on the computer and, and I'd have the computer on my palette and, you know, I was painting. It was so hard oh. and the light would change while I was painting. So I sort of, that was really too hard to sustain. And there was something that I'd been working on for a while, but I wasn't really conscious that I was doing that but now when I look back it was like oh this was the perfect project for a pandemic for a shutdown and it was my obsession about Picasso talking mm. about famous painter mm. so I was curious about Picasso um, for a number of reasons and I started reading like it was a bit like at this fantasy time I would read these stories and books written by other people about their relationships with Picasso, like some mm. of Gillot's book, Life with Picasso, and some of his grandchildren who you know, were devastated by their relationship with Picasso. Mm -hmm. And um, what, so I just sort of went down a rabbit hole um, about Picasso. And, but the most interesting thing for me was discovering who his muses were. So something that um, I've always heard about Picasso, is like you know his famous muses the the models you know all of mm. these succession of lovers and, <laughs> and models and i stumbled upon a book about dora mar and i really didn't know who dora mar was except that she was the subject of weeping woman um, and when i looked deeper into her i saw that she was an artist uh, she was a surrealist photographer who was actually you know, did really amazing work at the time and probably would have, I mean, who knows what would have happened. She was a woman in the 30s and who knows where her career would have gone, but she was a real going concern at that time. And then I started looking into all his other lovers and I made a chart to try to keep everything straight. <laughs> wow, were there that many? Well, there's at, at least eight. Ah. We're not, and we're not slut shaming here. We're not what? We're not slut shaming here. <laughs> okay. So, so I made a chart and yeah. I looked at who they were, when they lived, what they did, oh, and what the effect of Picasso was on their lives. And what I saw was that out of the eight known lovers and muses in his life, six were artists and two were not. And the two that were not artists killed themselves after Picasso died. They actually, what, um, Jacqueline Roque shot herself about six years later. Oh my God. And Marie Therese, I, I think, I'm not exactly sure what she, how she, I can't remember how she killed herself. And she died about two years after Picasso died. So these two women who were not artists, sort of took themselves out of the picture, couldn't live without him. But the mm. other six all lived into old age. 
not necessarily completely happy, but they kept on working. And in fact, Francois Gillot, who is, was his second to last lover, is still alive, living in New York. She's about 99 years old and she's still painting. So I started to think that painting or art actually, not only does it save your life, keeps you alive. <laughs> good thing to know, right? Like yes, that's matter, good. You don't have to be Picasso to live a long life uh, <laughs> and create work your whole life. Right. Um, but also I thought Picasso needed those artists in his life and they definitely would have contributed and collaborated and allowed him to do the work that he did. So it's sort of a story, I guess, um, that I'm making up in my own mind hmm. about what would have happened, you know, this incredibly massive artist who is seen in one way, I'm seeing him in a different way. And um, it's, that's what's been taking up my time. So the show is all portraits hmm. and paintings of five of, five of his muses. Hmm. How do you know what they look like? Um, I have scoured the books, scoured the internet, scoured the books, um, just in every place possible. I've, I've gotten a lot of books. This, uh, so, so this shutdown, that's been my obsession is finding obscure publications um, that I could order and find somewhere, whether in the States or in Europe. Well, it sounds really like you've had quite a good adventure following that lead and um, being obsessed is always good. Yeah, so it, yeah. Is, it is an obsession. Yeah. How many paintings in the exhibition? Um, there's about 18. Oh, very nice. 18, mm. uh, 17, 18, 19. And all done nine. this year? Um, Ish? Ish. Well, not, not in 2020. Some are done this year. Some, a lot were done last year. Some were okay. done in 2019. Um, right. Because I've been curious about some of them for a long time, right. but never settled down to just work on this project. Um, so the shutdown was kind of a mm. time to just dive into it. Mm. Is there some hope we're going to be able to see these paintings in the flesh, or do we have to look at them virtually? Uh, I hope you get to come. I hope I can cross the border and come to your opening. Oh, that would be amazing. Wouldn't that be cool? Yes. <laughs> I'm waiting. Apparently, it's still rumored that the border will open up on June 2nd. Okay. Well, um, and then I hope everybody in Toronto is paying attention to, um, we'll share the information on our Facebook and, and uh, social media, and hopefully you'll get some, you know, some more people coming up to the show. You'll benefit from the, from the, uh, from the half dozen or so of our oh, listeners. Of our 10 Perfect. of listeners. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully it will help and hopefully people will show up and go see it. I'm assuming also there might be a situation where you could go by appointment. If all I'm, else I'm fails. sure. Absolutely. It's yeah. definitely going to be open by appointment, but yeah. if, if, um, if the restrictions are lifted on the second, Great. and if the weather is beautiful, you know, the doors are open and exactly. they'll probably allow 10 people in at a time, right. maybe something like that. I, I don't really know. Well, but, Shelley, um, yes. I wish you the best of luck oh. and, and a, a positive opening and a lot of fun and wine or juice or whatever everyone's going to drink and celebrate. Well, if you get make it down here, I will pour you something stronger than uh, juice. Oh. Great. I'll be, I'll do my best to get there. I'm really trying hard. And, okay. um, 
it's really been a treat to talk to you. Thank you. It's a treat to talk to you guys. Any other thoughts, Eugene or Shelley? Oh, yes. I have one more completely oh, unrelated good. question. Oh, good, good. We've been asking our listeners because we have a... Uh, we have a, a, a portion of our show we call the Comfort Food Diner. And we've been asking our, our listeners what their favorite recipes are. Would you like to share a recipe with us? Um, let's see. Like, okay, well, the pressure's on. I know. And you know what I did write down? Do you have any snacks in your studio? <laughs> okay. This is going to sound really weird. Um, but it's really, um, it's something that I do all the time. <laughs> I'm addicted to spinach. Oh, wow. And spinach is, uh, and I have, this is, this is the way I cook spinach, and it is delicious. And you don't use any water. You, know, mm. you can get, you can get uh, those bags of, of pre-washed spinach mm -hmm. yep. in the supermarket. Mm -hmm. uh, get, a, get a pan, get, a nice, get it nice and hot. You, you can put a drop, uh, if you want, of butter or oil in there mm -hmm. but you, you don't you don't really have to well maybe you have to maybe a little bit of butter a little tiny bit of butter or oil i and, love butter on and spinach. you put a ton of spinach in put salt on it um and just toss it with tongs until it's wilted and mm -hmm. take it off squeeze lemon on it and it is the most delicious thing ever. <laughs> okay well Excellent. that's a, a, a delicious healthy on the recipe. I can't wait to try it. I've got some spinach in the fridge tonight. Yes, just till it's wilted. And okay. Pull it off and I eat it for breakfast and I eat it for dinner. <laughs> I think well, that's fantastic. Perfect. That sounds okay. really good. All right, spinach. All, All right. right, so thank you for the recipe and it's been great talking with you. Uh, Shelly, it's been far too long. Yeah. Hopefully see you soon. Thanks for this, guys. Break a leg. Okay. Bye. Bye.